So I was talking to a friend this week. Well, I was Zooming a friend. That's what we do these days, right? And I said to him as we were just beginning, I said, so how are you? And he said, fine. And then he, he kind of hesitated and he said, well, n- not not really, maybe. I don't know. And he said, I, I'm, I don't know. Do I feel sad sometimes? Um, I I think I, I'm worried. That's that's kind of the word that describes how I feel. I, I'm kind of looking forward to what's going to happen in the next while, and it it sort of feels like I'm I'm worried. I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling, you know, sort of this this dread um, about the time that is to come. And I thought that he was he was being really honest, but also he was kind of reflecting how many of us are feeling that we we might say to one another, "I'm I'm fine," because in in many ways we're we're getting through, but we're also feeling this kind of gnawing um, sort of worry that that is in the background. It kind of reminds me of one of our boys. Um, and he, he was a worrier, and um, I, I said to him one day as he was going through one of the periods of worrying, I said, has anything that you've worried about ever actually happened? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, not yet, which is a very telling uh, comment on being in that kind of a, a, a dark period of, of dread, anxiety, worry, sort of impending something that maybe really does characterize us as as a nation, as nations, as a world, as we're going through this very difficult time. So I would like to offer to you some counsel from God's Word. Not a long sermon, not a lot of ideas, not a lot of points or principles, but simply a verse that comes to us from Peter in the middle of his talking to believers who probably, like us, were in a state that we might call and they might have called worry, anxiety, um, concern. Uh, They were believers. They were followers of Christ. They had been scattered from home, from the persecution that came to the Christians in Jerusalem, and they were all over the place in Asia Minor. And Peter is trying to encourage them. And as he encourages them, knowing that they are people who may be filled with anxiety, may be filled with worry, he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I think the ideas of that verse are fairly familiar to us. We have songs, um, uh, we have little sayings where we, we talk about the importance of giving our cares over to the Lord, knowing that he cares for us. And, and we believe them. They become sort of truisms for us in our Christian lives. But I, I wonder if, if we have a, a, a kind of a grip on how it is that we can actually do these things. When Peter says those things to the believers in Asia Minor, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting David. Uh, The psalmist in Psalm 55, verse 22, 
says these things that get translated from uh, the Septuagint probably into the, the Greek that comes from Peter's pen. In, in Psalm 55, verse 22, it says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Again, concepts that we're able to kind of grasp and say, wow, that is a lovely promise, but then wonder how do we actually put those things into practice? Well, we might think about the context into which both Peter is writing and David is penning his words um, and, and try to imagine what it was that was causing the worry and then how they might respond to the counsel that God gives to them through Peter and through David. When David says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you, he's talking to himself. Um, Many times he does this. We hear him talking to his soul. He says, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, hope in the Lord, and, and so on. He says that sort of thing quite often. But in Psalm 55, we're, we're kind of wondering, well, what was happening in his life that would cause him to say to himself, cast your burden upon the Lord? What burden, what anxiety, what cares does uh, David experience? So let me take you back just for a moment to Psalm 55. And in Psalm 55, before he says these words, presumably to himself and to us, um, he says some curious things. He says, and this, my best friend, betrayed his best friends. His life betrayed his word. All my life I've been charmed by his speech, never dreaming he'd turn on me. His words, which were music to my ears, turned to daggers in my heart. Pile your troubles on God's shoulders. He'll carry your load. He'll help you out. That's the context that um, David is in as he speaks these words that then Peter picks up on and he quotes. What in the world was going on in David's life where he's talking about somebody who seems to have turned into a backstabber? Now, this is not a sermon about anybody backstabbing. So nobody's backstabbing me that I'm aware of. Hopefully nobody is backstabbing you. But something's going on Um, in the middle of which David is finding himself in incredible turmoil. The good possibility is that the the person that David is referring to is Ahithophel. That's a hard name to say, Ahithophel. Um, He's a person that was one of David's trusted confidants. For years and years, he had been his advisor, Um, David actually turned to him, uh, seeking to know the wisdom that the Lord had given to Ahithophel that might then be passed along to David. Um, I don't know where this fits in the story, but uh, this person was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Uh, Along the way, something soured in Ahithophel. Um, He betrayed David at the end, uh, all the while 
talking with David and hanging out with David as though he were still his trusted friend. When David's son Absalom rebelled against him, Ahithophel actually um, joined forces with Absalom, and as as the sad events began to to near the end, um, at one point Ahithophel says, I want to kill David myself. I don't want any army people to do it. I don't want it to be, you know, in the middle of some frenzy. I'll do this myself. So here's David who's saying, my trusted friend has turned on me. Um, I used to count on him. I used to be able to depend on his word. His his word was like um, music, first of all, for me. And now it has turned to daggers in my heart. While he's reflecting on this, David says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So David's confidence was in the Lord. And even though he knew that there was this intrigue going on, there was this rebellion against him, this this, um, terrible mutiny in his family even, uh, David says, but, but I'm going to cast my burden on the Lord. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Why don't we think about that for a moment? Peter is still talking to the elders in the church. He's talking to the shepherds. And as we saw last week, he's kind of referring back to the the chief shepherd, Jesus himself, um, who is going to come and he will reward the shepherds, the pastors of the flock. And as Peter is thinking about all of that, um, he says, while you are caring for one another, while you are being looked after by those who are elders, um, humble yourselves, he says to everyone together, and then he says, and, and let's do this. Cast our burdens upon the Lord, uh, knowing that he will sustain us. He brings us back to the psalm and brings us forward into the situation in Asia Minor, and it comes all the way forward to us in the middle of a pandemic. And we are told by God in his word that we can cast our burden upon the Lord, that we can uh, cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. When we think about shepherds, and as I say, that's the context of of Peter's instructions here. Shepherd, the flock among you, the chief shepherd is going to come, um, cast your cares upon the Lord, we're maybe taken to think about the way that we are cared for, how sheep were cared for by their shepherds. And in John chapter 10, when Jesus is talking about the fact that he is actually the good shepherd, um, he, he talks about other shepherd-like characters. And in John 10 verse 13, he says, he flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So as we roll all all of this into the context of of kind of caring and being cared for, 
Jesus talks to his followers and says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. And, and by inference, he's talking in this chapter about those people who kind of are pretend shepherds. In some cases, they're actually thieves. And he says that they only come to, to kill and to steal. They climb up into the sheep pen a different way and so on. But then there's a, another caricature, there's the caricature of the hired hand. Here's someone who's paid to be a shepherd. He's a paid caregiver, a paid lover. And Jesus says when danger comes along, when hard times come along, the hired hand flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. Uh, juxtaposed with this is the absolute commitment of the Lord Jesus to be our good shepherd, to be the one whose care is legitimate care, is bona fide care, um, is care on which we can absolutely count so that we can do, as Peter says, cast our cares on him. The shepherd in that ancient Near Eastern context was a very important part of uh, the population. He, he may not have been noticed very often because he was out in the fields with his, his flocks of sheep and of goats. Um, the shepherd characteristically um, would hang out with his sheep. Um, maybe during the day he would let them roam on the fields, in the mountains, in the hills. And then in, in the evening time he would, he would call his sheep back together. Um, the shepherd knew his sheep. He, he actually would call his sheep by name, we're told. I grew up in, in Northern Ireland where sheep are plentiful. Uh, we were there a few years ago, and I think the thing that uh, impressed Annabeth more than anything else was the absolute plentitude of sheep. Every hillside, every street, every um, road that you even tried to drive down, full of sheep. Uh, those sheep all had a mark, uh, a, a piece of dye, like a, a color of dye on their, on their um, wool. Blue or red or green or whatever it was. That would signify the shepherd to whom those sheep belonged. Uh, when I was a boy, I remember going to visit a shepherd and his sheep and he had a dog. I, I can still remember his dog. His dog's name was Sheila. Um, she was a beautiful collie. And she took care of her shepherd's sheep. She literally, people ha have um, sort of suspected that th this couldn't be true. But she could actually count the sheep as they would return uh, evening by evening in into the walled enclosure. She would... You could you could tell Sheila to count to a certain number, and she would either bark that many times or she would tap her paw, paw that many times. Um, the the shepherd in Northern Ireland uh, kind of paled even in s comparison with the shepherds of the ancient Near East of of Palestine. Those shepherds would fend off enemies. Those shepherds would would lead their sheep through difficult, difficult terrain to find the best pasture. 
they would lead them in the parched areas of the Judean desert to find water. And as I said, these shepherds would know their sheep. Um, they would, it said they would whisper into the ears of their sheep. And then in the morning when it was time for them to bring their sheep out, uh, they would simply call their sheep. And Jesus says that the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. Jesus says, I know my sheep by name. And the shepherds would, would call out the names of the sheep and they would follow him. So here's the image that Peter is depending on as he talks about the fact that those believers to whom he's writing are, are people who are worrying. Um, they're people who, who need to have their cares taken over by somebody who will care for them, who, who will take care of them. Sheep are not the most intelligent animals as far as, far as I can tell. Um, if one sheep, you know, falls over a cliff, then all the sheep follow after that sheep. So, so the sheep desperately need someone to look after them. The sheep can't find the pasture that they should. They can't find the water. They need it to be supplied to them by the leadership of, of a pastor, of a shepherd. And, and that's what Peter is saying to the, the churches. He's saying, you who are elders, you are, you who are the shepherds of the sheep. Be sure that you shepherd the sheep. Be sure that you care for the sheep. And then to the whole flock, he says, now listen, um, your cares, your anxieties, your worries, give them over to the shepherd because he cares for you. The best image of a Palestinian shepherd um, is nothing compared to the truth of the care that God has for us, the love that God has for us. Now, in the meantime, there are these hired hands who kind of come along. And who are the hired hands in our kind of a, a time of worrying and, and, and anxiousness? I wonder if the hired hands, they're not bad people. They're, they're, they're just not committed. They're not thoroughly given to the well-being of the sheep. Those things to which we have um, kind of made ourselves dependent aren't, aren't there when the hard times come. They aren't there in the middle of the worrisome times. And they're not bad things, just as the hirelings were not bad people necessarily. But as I think back to what used to be when we were um, in what we probably will end up calling the old days or the pre-pandemic days, um, there were things that we counted on so that when we worried, we counted on these, and they maybe become kind of the hired hands of our day. We, we counted on our health. You know, we counted on um, a healthcare system as well that could take care of us, and there was pretty much something that could always be done for anything that would threaten our health. And yet, this comes along. 
we kind of counted on financial security so that when when we worried maybe we had a financial advisor or we could you know at least go and and see how we were doing we could keep working at our job and we thought our job was relatively secure and and then that hired hand maybe is not to be found simple things like we used to like to travel uh, i heard someone on a, a talk this week and he he kind of caught himself he said i see your book in the airport he was talking to somebody else and he said oh no no i mean I used to see your book in the airport when we used to go to airports. And can you imagine that the time has come that we're actually saying we used to travel, we used to fly? Um, that was a hired hand. Hopefully it'll be back. Um, we used to go to concerts. We used to think that um, hundreds and thousands of people gathered closely together in the same place. Um, would kind of feed our desire for whatever artistic expression we've we've come to enjoy, uh, symphony, um, rock music, uh, opera, church, gathering together with all kinds of people, and and to sort of feed off of the vibe of being together, hired hands. They kind of slip away. They'll be back slowly, bit by bit, size by size. But in the meantime, we find ourselves maybe a little anxious. And what we used to do that was really helpful in helping us to feel calm, people around us enjoying the same thing, doesn't seem to be there. The pub. You can't get a crowd of people together side by side beer in hand, talking about life. Church. Uh, a lot of uh, what I've been talking with folks about is, of course, the church and what it's going to look like as the church reopens. Uh, it, it's probably a scenario that's much more of a both-and scenario than a one or the other. We will we will join together in smaller groups and mid-sized groups and big-sized groups many times instead of one time, whatever. But it's just not a fixed thing anymore. We don't say, okay, I can look forward to Sunday because Sunday everybody will be together here and we will be able to support one another. Even something like gathered church kind of begins to look like the hired hand. Going to school. My goodness, who would have thought the time would come when we would miss just being able to go to school, to be with our friends, to learn together, to, to move through a program, a curriculum, to get to a degree or to get to a, a diploma or whatever it is. Uh, those things, none of which are bad, but which used to be the sorts of things that we would kind of cling to when we were tending to worry or be anxious uh, and needing some directions, some purpose, some way uh, to spend our time. Uh, Jesus says the hired hand flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned with the sheep. See, all of those things that we've talked about they, in and of themselves, aren't concerned about us. 
they they don't you know meet someplace saying now how can we make humankind happy how can we make humankind worry free they are just the hired hands that are around us and Jesus says I'm not like that Uh, I'm not like the fleeting service of a paid person or the fleeting service of any of the amenities that we might have hung on to. And into the middle of all of that, Peter says, when, when things are all shaken up for you, when the way things used to be isn't the way they are, when you're full of care, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. As I look at this particular verse and and the language that Peter uses, there's just an interesting way that he starts where he says, cast your burden upon the Lord. Cast all of your anxiety on him. Cast. The word is, it's only used two times in the New Testament. Um, and as we kind of think it through and we get right back to the practical question I began with, which is how do you, how do you do this? How do you, how do you let God care for you in the middle of the things that you care over or that are, are call, causing you worry, causing you anxiety? How do you let God care? Peter says we should cast our cares on him cast our anxieties on him so maybe we'll we'll just slow down for a second and ask ourselves what are the anxieties the worries when when my friend zeroed in on the the idea of worrying um it, it, it was good it was perceptive and for us we should maybe just slow down and say what do i worry about you know who do I worry about? I'm sure for many of us, we, we worry about our, our children and our grandchildren. We worry about what this world is becoming. We worry, oh, how we worry over the violence and the carnage that comes even in this week. We, we're just filled with disquiet, with anxiety, uh, with this sense of impending stuff. Uh, into that list, God would insert his scriptures and he would say to us, cast all those things on me because I care for you. What does it mean to cast them on him? When we think about casting things, I think we immediately think about throwing. It's sort of like, cast that out, throw that out. Um, every now and then you might go through a house cleaning um, house, you know, ridding routine by which you take things that have just been around for a long time and don't seem to be necessary anymore, and you throw them out, cast them out. We kind of get that cavalier notion from from the word casting as we find it in, in our version here. As I said, there are only two times that this verb is used in the New Testament, and the other time is very interesting. It's used about 
when Jesus sent some of his disciples um, to get a donkey. And, and when they found the donkey and they followed the instructions of the master and so that when the owner said, hey, hey, you, what are you doing there? I'm going to call the police. They said, we're taking your donkey, your colt, because the master has need of it. And then the owner said, okay, that's all you needed to say. What they did after that is that they led the donkey back um, to where Jesus is going to begin his triumphal entry. And they take off their coats. They take off their outer garments. And they cast them on the donkey. See, it doesn't mean throw them on you. They, they didn't sort of, you know, in a cavalier way, toss them on top. They, they literally took off layers of clothing and they laid them. They placed them, they cast them onto the back of the donkey. And then Jesus sat on top of what they had laid on the back of the donkey and he began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I, I, I think that's instructive in the very use of the vocabulary. When Peter does not use some other term that is looser than that, he would be saying, if we follow the sense of that verb, um, lay carefully all of your anxiety on him. Place your anxiety on him. See, how, how did they do it? Whose coat went on first? Did coats lie on top one of the other? What was their question? Their question was, what will make the master comfortable? What will make the master safe? as he rides this donkey into Jerusalem. And so they would lay on the back of the donkey the clothes that they had taken off themselves. Peter is saying to us, listen, in, in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your worries, in the middle of your care, take the items of care, take the items of your worry, Take the items of your anxiety and place them on Jesus. Place them on God. Because, says Peter, and with a strong theology, a strong biblical mandate, he says, when you do, he will care for you. Jesus says, the hirelings will do their part, but it's not enough, it's not complete. I'm the good shepherd. Peter says, if, if you take the things that you worry over, that you are anxious over, and carefully give them over to God, he will care for you. He will take care of those things. Now, uh, David would echo the very same thing because he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm in the middle of something that is the most treacherous thing I can imagine. I mean, imagine that my best friend has turned on me. What could be worse than that? That when you turn around to find the person that you have counted on, and he's not there. Or he's there, but in a treacherous, murderous kind of way. We could soften it and have David say, 
What if all the things that you used to sort of count on are taken away? The comforts of home, the resources that you had, um, the activities that you used to occupy your time. What if they were taken away? Well, David says, not only are they taken away as I'm running for my life, as I'm worried for my life, as I'm grieving over the fact that my very son has turned his back and is murderously opposed to me, and my very, very best friend. Even in that context, David says, I want to remind myself that I am invited to cast my burden upon the Lord and he will sustain me. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. I think there's a promise there that, that is good for us to latch on to. Uh, in, in the Psalms, it, it talks about the fact that even you know, in, in, in the most difficult of terrain, the Lord will not let us to, not only he, that he won't let us trip up. He, he, he doesn't say he, he, he won't let you trip up. He says in the Psalm of Ascent that says, I, I looked to the hills, where's my help come from? Uh, in that Psalm, he says, he will not let you fall headlong. We will trip. We will come out with some, some scratches and bruises. But the promise that God gives us is the promise of safety. Not physical safety, not even um, medical safety, but, but profound soul safety. That David knows that um, he's in a precarious situation. He knows his life may be taken from him but he has this trust in the lord that is an eternal trust it's one that reaches past what might happen tomorrow or next week so we have this trust in god um, that we are able to count on the fact that when we take the things that worry us and place them over to jesus over to god our father that he cares about us. In no way does he consider the, 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 the worries and the anxieties of our lives as unimportant or trivial. When, when we come close to him and, and say, I'm worried about this, he looks upon us with love and gentleness and care. And, and he says to us something like, I understand your worry. I understand your concern." And I want you to know, more than anything else, that I care for you. The hireling says Jesus doesn't care because he's just a hireling. But Peter says, if you give your anxieties and worries and troubles to the Lord, you're giving them to someone who cares, someone who knows. We don't have a high priest um, who can't be touched by our infirmities. But we have someone who knows exactly what we feel. He has been where we are, and he holds us up. Peter says, in the middle of all of the difficulties, be sure that you cast your burden. What? Throw it? Not a bit. 
carefully, carefully take it, identify it, label it, place it over there and say, I'm taking my hands off it. The apostles, the disciples didn't know whether or not they'd get those cloaks back, did they? But they took them and they put them on the donkey. And in a symbolic way, the master took control of even those clothes as he led into the the declaration of his kingdom. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I can't help but go to another lovely passage that I'll finish with from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says these tender words, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What beautiful words. Because many of us would say, yes, I'm feeling weary right now. I'm feeling weary these many weeks into this isolation, this concern, this worry. I'm feeling heavy laden because I, f- I feel as though I, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to do. I would like to take the yoke of the Lord. The, the yoke was the shared burden. Um, usually a mature older ox would shoulder the burden of a yoke that would then be placed on the shoulders of a younger inexperienced ox. And the older ox would lead the way, would shoulder the weight. And Jesus says, why don't you take my yoke upon you? Because my yoke is easy. And if you take my yoke on you and learn from me, to follow me, you will discover that I am gentle and humble in heart. What does it mean when we're told that he cares for us? It means that he's gentle and humble in heart. By character, by disposition, by behavior, he he proves that he's gentle. He's never rough with the things that worry us. He's never scolding with the things that worry us. He, He doesn't say, well, that's a stupid thing to worry about. He takes us seriously and he says, I see, I see that, that you are, you're troubled by this. But Jesus says, if you yoke up with me, um, you will find rest for your souls. Rest is such a beautiful word. And in, in the midst of thinking about worrying, rest is, is the lovely antidote. It's, it's a lovely answer to prayer. We may think there are things that we need in specific related to what we worry over and what we're anxious about. But what we truly need is rest. We need a a deep, peaceful rest in our souls by which we're able to say it's okay, by which we're able to say it is well with my soul. So here's Peter's word to us today. Casting all your anxiety on him, item by item, given over to him, knowing that he cares for us. 
He cares for us profoundly in a way that no one ever has been able to. No one ever will. No matter how much better things get, nothing that is yet to come will care for us to the degree that we are cared for, loved by, cherished by God our Father and Jesus our Savior. By the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who, as we saw last week, comes to comfort us, to encourage us when we're discouraged. I hope that these will be words that you can latch on to. I hope that they will be words that you can practically apply and that you will, in these coming days, take the matters of worry one by one, identify them, give them over, and then receive the gracious care of God through your friends, through the word of God, um, through music, through art, through imagination, through all of the ways that God will come and visit you when you say to him, I'm a little worried, could you, could you please help out?